Today is Wednesday, August 30th, 2017. Time for episode 23 of the Barnhart Podcast. The theme music is a little different this morning, and it reflects an aggressive annoyance on the part of yours truly. The music, for those who don't know, it's called the Cavalry Charge theme from Rossini's setting of the William Tell Opera, and this recording was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. I assume most people know that the Marine Corps is a wholly owned subsidiary of the logistics organization known as the United States Navy, and the fact that I'm invoking an association with them should give you an idea of just how irate I am this morning. So let's talk about the events of five days ago. We recorded a Financial Friday podcast talking about the various trades one might consider in lieu of uh, committing financial and spiritual suicide by going to college. Do you remember, Anne, the topic we discussed at the very end of the podcast? The very, very end. And, um, oh, finding, um, the importance of having plan B and being ready to go in case you should lose web hosting, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. So mere hours after the publication of that podcast in which we made a request of listeners, uh, for suggestions about offshore web hosting as part of a backup plan for the podcast and website, you know, just in case, um, speaking openly and passionately about current events and uh, the Catholic faith ends up being something deemed as hate speech. I get an email from the web hosting provider where Anne's website had been hosted saying, quote, upon review of a third party complaint in your account activity, we have deemed your account to be in violation of our terms of service. Specifically, section 21 of our terms of service, we have determined that you are that we are not the most appropriate host for your business needs and require that you seek hosting services elsewhere outside of Site5 and our sister companies, uh, to service the web hosting, your web hosting needs moving forward. Pursuant to our terms of service, we have permanently suspended your account and will terminate your account on Monday, August 28th. Okay, so details about this email. The subject made it very clear. The subject line of the email said, urgent copyright infringement abuse report. Uh, okay, so somebody's accusing us of using their content or their, their intellectual property without permission. No, or deep. so, or so it would seem, well, or so it would seem. That that was that. I mean, when the, when the when the subject of the email says copyright infringement abuse report, you would think <laughs> that the people from the web hosting provider sending this this email to you and and announcing we are terminating your account are doing so because of the subject indicated on the email. Oh, but super nerd, only if you operate on the false base premise that we are living in a Christian society in which the presumption that people are being honest with you and telling you the truth is the is the normal average way to go about things. And that is not the case anymore, as we have discussed previously. This is a this is a post-Christian culture. It is a culture of mendacity. Um, it, it kind of goes without saying now that when you are communicating, especially with people that, you know, have a very high chance of being these far leftist social justice warrior types, which let's face it, the IT industry in general is, is pretty much saturated with these people. Um, you can no longer operate just blindly on the base premise that anything they tell you is the truth. Okay. Proceed. True. But when you get into allegations of copyright abuse, there are actual, uh, define procedures in law about how to deal with this. And oh, that, and that law. Gets, That's adorable. You're so adorable. Yeah, well, <laughs> law. Well, okay. So, so getting, getting to, to so the next point is that there were no specifics given in this email whatsoever. Just you violated our terms of service. Uh, section 21 had nothing to do with anything that our website or podcast talk about. It, it was, it was the most off the wall reference that, that it's, it's like somebody threw darts at, at a number and, and said, okay, 21, that's what we're going to allege, allege uh, the violation here. Okay, in terms of copyright uh, abuse, 
complaints. I have in the past. I have actually filed DMCA takedown requests. DMCA is Digital Millennium Copyright Act. It's a law passed, I think, in the '90s that, uh, on the surface, is all about uh, protecting copyright owners. And when I've done that uh, in the past, I think it was on YouTube. When you when you submit one of these complaints, uh, first off, you're doing it under penal penalty of perjury. You also have to be um, very specific on what page or what section of a piece of content that you're that, that you're complaining about where your content is being um, used without your permission. You also have to specifically cite where on the on the internet or where uh, a provider like YouTube can look up to verify that you own the the material you're you're complaining about. So it can't just be some random social justice warrior saying, I think you might be violating something here, and therefore it's a copyright complaint. You actually had to be very specific with a DMCA request. And I would assume that Site5 might have uh, a, an actual DMCA process, but that is not what they did here. So it, right off the bat, the fact that they are alleging a copyright uh, infringement and none of the DMCA uh, procedures are, are in place in this email or referenced, it, it, that was another red flag. And the other thing too, they say leave Site5 and don't sign up with any of our sister companies, but they don't say in the email that a partial list of that company is 84 names long. And it wasn't until this event that I even realized that a lot of the big names that I know in, in web hosting, in, in the web hosting business are owned by a company called the Endurance Group International. Uh, they are the new owners of Site5. I, that's, this is within the last year or so. And, and they own, uh, they, they've just been buying up web hosting companies like crazy. And uh, like I said, the, the partial list on Wikipedia is 84 names long. And it's it's a lot of recognizable names. If if you host websites, if if you're uh, if you, if you're in IT, if you're in um, web hosting, you're going to recognize a lot of names on this list. In fact, a couple that really surprised me because I, I've referred to them in the past in our conversations: um, Bluehost and, and uh, HostMonster, owned by the Good Mormon Matt Heaton, who on, on his personal blog years ago had always said he's never going to sell these companies. This is his personal thing going forward. Now he sold them. So it, uh -huh. it's it's one of these things like, okay, you got to do research just to figure out who really owns a company you're going to be working with. Now, to me, one of the most annoying things is we already had in process the the um, the movement of your your website and, and podcast to a different web hosting provider. And it was something that, that was about 80% done. And I was I was being casual about it because I, I didn't want to be too rushed and, and forget something along the way. And, and actually, probably over this last weekend is when I was going to finish the move anyway. And then, and then this all happens. It's like, okay, now I have to move and site and 33 other websites that I host on my account just to make sure they don't fall into this termination by accident. So yeah, my, my, my weekend went out the window here. Long story short, get an email yesterday afternoon uh, saying that uh, thanks for, for reaching back and, and, and addressing your concerns. Upon further review, there is no copyright violation. Exactly. Despite the fact that the subject line from the get-go is all about copyright violation. All they did was, was uh, cite a URL from Podcast 15 saying that uh, the complaint was referencing the content at that URL. I'm still waiting for them to say exactly what it is that, that um, is in violation. And we've discussed, we, we have an idea what, what they may be complaining about. Oh, I, I know exactly what but it I, is. I, wanted, I, I don't even want to mention it on the podcast. I want them to specifically say no, it. Just, uh, no, just because no, I, want them, I want them to commit a lie on a, on, with a digital trail. That, that's why I'm saying that. I mean, we, we can probably talk about this in a week or two. Uh, and a couple they're, of people- they're not, going to, they're not going to respond. They're never, that's why they were lying in the first place about it being a copyright infringement. And they're never going to respond, respond to you. You're gone. You're not going to get any money back from PayPal. I mean, I know that you've put in for that. They're not going to give you your money back. They don't, they don't care. And it's exactly what you said. 
it serves no purpose to them at this point to say why it is that they're doing this. Um, because if they say it in writing or in any other form why it is that they've done this and what exactly the, the problem is, it opens them up to an entire, an entire uh, world of oppressing people for their religious beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I think they're probably I think they're probably savvy enough that they're not going to do that. Um, I'll, I'll give you a week though. If, if they, if they respond and they say something, then, then so much the better. But, um, I I don't, I don't, I don't think they are. A a week might be needed. And that's one of my other complaints here is, is that, uh, they, I, I believe they are unquestionably in violation of, of their own terms of service, uh, in in terms of, uh, essentially being a breach of contract there, they advertise 24 seven, uh, customer support. But when you, when that, when that form of support takes somebody, uh, in broken English on chat, point blank saying, I cannot and will not help you because um, the nature of the of the complaint on your account is something that I cannot address. And then it takes four days to get a response from the, the actual team that uh, allegedly can answer for this. By the way, the, I finally got a response, not not even the one I was, I was referencing from yesterday. It wasn't until Monday afternoon that I got a response at all with regard to the original complaint, which if you remember from the original email, they said, we will terminate your account on Monday. So I don't even get a response until after account termination takes place. So mm-hmm. that's not exactly 24-7 support. So I, I think they're already in, in breach of contract in that regard there. But long story short, and, and I've been tweeting about this um, over on Twitter, obviously, that anybody researching or thinking about hosting on Site5, beware. They will terminate your account and then give you a complete bullshit reason and and just make something up. Uh, they, yes, they are, there is a provision on, on their terms of service that say that... Um, they are free to terminate your services at any time if, if they think it's appropriate, but they haven't even cited that article. If they had started with that and stayed with it, I could have just rolled my eyes and say whatever uh, and, and moved on. But the fact that they were citing, it seems like they're playing bingo with, with um, terms of service uh, provision numbers, and they just keep changing the story every single time they come back and taking forever to get back. Uh, this, is, this should be a giant red flag and warning to anybody thinking about doing business with, uh, as you called it, these commies from Austin. Um, site five is going to screw you over and, and they're not even going to give you a, a, um, the pretension of following their own procedures. So enough about my petty problems. Let's talk about some real problems in the world, such as the plight of the folks in Houston. And what's the summary of the state of affairs in Houston? Well, it's, it's obviously pretty grim. Um, first I'd like to mention that, um, there's reportage that two of the parishioners of the SSPX chapel in Houston have drowned in the flood and want to make sure that everybody's aware of that. And, um, I'm sure that, that these people have already had requiems, but it's, it just goes to show you how terrifying it is. These people get in their cars, they get in their cars. One of them I know was driving on his way to mass and this water comes and just within seconds you're dead. Um, and it's, it's infuriating that the, I believe the governor of Texas was telling people, you know, get the hell out of there, get the hell out of there, get the hell out of there. And the, um, the black Democrat mayor contradicted the governor and said, no shelter in place, shelter in place, shelter in place. And that's why so many of these people are there stranded. Why apparently once again, once again, because nobody learns. And I think more to the point, nobody cares. I think that these corrupt local politicians, especially, 
and especially in the South. But, you know, I shouldn't even say that because it's everywhere. But they see these natural disasters and they just see all they see is money. They see, you know, contracts for their buddies for cleanup, uh, you know, contracts for this, contracts for that. And they just they just see it all as one big money making racket. And they they don't care because they are most of them are diabolical narcissists, psychopaths. They genuinely do not care about other human beings. Other human beings aren't even human to them. They're just uh, three-dimensional cartoons is one of the ways that that it is explained. A diabolical narcissist psychopath looks at you and all you are is a tool, um, a character in, in the novel of their life. And you exist only to advance the plot of their life, only to supply them with any sort of um, what's called uh, tax revenue, <laughs> uh, tax revenue, tax revenue, and also narcissistic satisfaction. You know, narcissistic supply is, I think, the more technical term that people use for it. You, you don't exist. Other human beings do not exist as human beings to these people, and so they can do things like, like see a uh, twice per millennium type of a storm approaching, and tell people to shelter in place because they know that there there will be more. That will result in more uh, funds flowing in, more government funds. They're just trying to milk these things for all that they're worth. Well, I don't, really, um, I don't, I don't want to defend the, the mayor of Houston. And speaking of the mayor of Houston, an awesome um, tweet that Ann Coulter put out saying, I don't believe that Hurricane Harvey is God's punishment for Houston electing a lesbian mayor, but that would be more credible than climate change. I don't, exactly. I, the, the whole shelter in place business, I mean, it's hard to tell where these storms are going to go for one thing and how, how significant they're going to be. But by the time any kind of warning is, was posted, which I'm sure it was way too late, they, they could have done something a lot sooner. You're talking about a metropolitan area of um, at least 2.7 million, 2 million people just for Houston itself, which is to say nothing of all the rest of the um, metropolitan statistic area. By the I time any Houston warning... Houston is the fourth largest city or the fourth largest metroplex in the United States. And it, I mean, yes. I saw that and, and I was taken aback by that. You don't think of it. I, have I ever been to Houston? I don't even know if I've ever even been to Houston. Um, but apparently it is just gigantic. The metroplex. Yeah. Oh, it's more sprawling than Minneapolis. Um, wow. it, it's, it is a, it, it takes up hundreds of square miles. And it's actually mm -hmm. one of the case studies of why light rail and some some kinds of uh, mass transit don't work because it's so sprawling. But yes, the the metropolitan area is about 6.3 million people. There's about 2.7 in Houston itself. And what I was getting at is that by the time the the mayor came to the conclusion that uh, we're going to have to give a warning of some sort, you can't order an evacuation because that many people trying to evacuate at once will end up with everyone on the freeway when when the shore when when the, when the st storm comes ashore. And you would have seen a lot more deaths from that than just simply saying, well, we screwed up. We didn't get the alert out soon enough. So shelter in place. I mean, somebody saying shelter in place means they didn't have time or they didn't prepare soon enough to get the evacuation order out. Well, I don't know. It seems to me that, that this thing was seen days and days and days and days in advance. I remember just seeing days and days on Drudge where it was the top headline. Monster storm coming, monster storm coming, monster storm coming. And, you know, I would check back and look at Drudge and say, well, that thing must have made landfall by now. No, it was like t still two days out from making landfall. So, I mean, the notion that, that these things can't be organized and mobilized and so forth, I just don't buy it. I think there's there's a lot of just 
not just incompetence, but I think that there's a there's a calculated maliciousness and a and a like I said, they're they're looking at these things, these disasters as as money making and and power coalescing events. And uh, my contempt for them is just is just well, you know, there's one group of people who my contempt for is even greater than than the psychopathic politicians. And that is these uh, black rap hip hop thugs that are apparently out on the streets pretending to be victims and then robbing, um, looting, so on and so forth. There was one tweet that went out from one of the one of the uh, Cajun Cajun militia groups. No, the, the Cajun uh, Navy. Cajun, the Cajun Navy. The Cajun Navy. Which is said, a, a, sort of a tongue in cheek name for tongue tongue in cheek name for a group of folks who who come to help out in a disaster. They were bringing their fishing boats, their their flat bottom fan boats. The, yeah. the kinds of gear that and 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 they could um, get into vehicle. exactly. Yeah, they yeah. were they were actively assisting and coordinating with local uh, emergency responders because these these Cajuns had had the kind of equipment to get get places and, and help people that even the first responders couldn't do. So exactly. so when we say Cajun Navy, this is not some kind of weird militia group. This this these are people no, no, who no. genuinely, out of the goodness of their hearts, came over to Houston to help because. The storm is heading their way. They could have just stayed home yes. and said, "Well, for, forget Houston. We're gonna we're gonna take care of our own own our own people because charity starts at home. We'll worry about Houston when we're when we're definitely safe." Well, a lot of them, you know, spent all this time driving over there and getting down in there. To, you know, this is a this is a non trivial expense. You've got to have you know like an a Ford F two fifty or F three fifty. You're pulling this boat. And you have to drive all the way around that western edge of the Gulf and get from the bayou of Louisiana all the way down to Houston. That's a hell of a lot of gas or diesel. This is a this is a massive expense that these people are undertaking and then risk risk life and limb just by virtue of the fact that they're going to be boating around in flooded out areas. Who knows if there's electricity, you know, considerations, power lines down, crap like that. These people go down there and these rap hip hop thugs down there in in Houston are are looting. Some of them reported that they had shots taken at them and so on and so forth. And they put out the call, said, you know what, let's we're going to go ahead and withdraw. It's too dangerous because of the thugs, not because of the, the the danger of the situation itself with the flood. It's too dangerous because of these thugs and looters and like you just said, super nerd, this storm is going now back up. It's going back up the, the, the Gulf Coast and it's going to make landfall at our place. We need to get back up there now. So the withdrawal call goes out. I mean, it's, it's just it's just incomprehensible to me. And I guess that's a good thing. But on, on an intellectual level, you have to get your head around it. That these rap hip hop thugs are human beings that are utterly, totally, completely devoid of charity. They're basically demons. They are the human analog of demons walking this earth. To do something like that, to to uh, bait rescuers in and then loot them, to to do things like this, it's just sane human beings morally sane human beings cannot even comprehend how a human being could be th this far gone. But I'm telling you, this rap hip hop culture, 
There are there are millions of them. There are millions and millions and millions of human beings in the United States right now, full full blown American citizens. No, no question about any of that. Born and raised generations and generation and generation American. And these people are so completely corrupted and in a sense just destroyed by their own rap hip hop culture. Which and it's not like white, the leaders of their own community are doing them any favors or giving them a way to improve their, their situation. Oh, of course not. And they're all psychopaths, too, because now, I mean, the rap hip hop culture. OK, so Johnson, the Great Society, that's when things really started to get bad. Now, you can certainly make all kinds of arguments about how black culture was sexualized and so forth before the 1960s. Certainly you can make that argument. But really when history looks back and draws a line in the sand, it's very clear. It's LBJ and the Great Society. Legitimacy rates amongst American blacks before the year before the Great Society was like 85%. Can you imagine that? 85% of black children in the United States were born into a household where the mother and father were married to each other. This this is just incomprehensible now as we sit here in 2017. Instantly, almost instantly after um, the Great Society and this welfare state and the United States government started actively um, subsidizing black women to have children out of wedlock made it extremely lucrative and completely disincentivized marriage and everything. The illegitimacy rate went through the roof. And, you know, I, I should try to pull it up. Um, there's a there's a very famous quote out there that's floating around that somebody leaked about LBJ. And what what he says is he says, paraphrasing now, if if you give if you give those niggers money, they will vote for you for the rest of their life. And that was his that was his entire motivation that was that was the entire reason behind it lbj psychopath was completely content to do everything he could to utterly destroy black the culture of black americans completely destroy the black american family completely destroy any notion of sexual morality marriage anything like that he was completely satisfied to do that in order to draw more political power to himself. And it, when you think about this, when did LBJ die? Um, he died, let me 1970s? pull it up. 1970s? Uh, very early. He, because remember, he, he declined to run for re-election because he was sick. He died in 73. Okay, so he dies in 70. Sorry for that little interruption. Skype dropped out on me. Is it Skype now as well as Site 5? What is it with these S-named companies? Anyway, so we were talking about uh, LBJ and dying in, in the 1970s, but also you were saying that that LBJ's policies were actively um, diminishing the, the the or destructive of the family. One of the one of the points you forgot to mention there to be eligible for for welfare in the first place, there couldn't be a man living in the house, and and that oh, yeah. that was one of the big things that led to an increase in in illegitimacy because why would I have a man in the house? Because now we have to work. Or now, now we we aren't available. It's not it's not the working thing per se. We're not we're not a we're not eligible for welfare. But you were talking about the death of LBJ. Well, I looked it up, and he died in seventy three. But he was already sick. He was sick at the end of his of his final term, and he declined to run for reelection. Not only because because Vietnam was such a disaster, but also because he was sick. 
And so you think about this and this guy did this, did this, this thing and was completely content to destroy the black American family so that he could, what, gain power and votes unto himself for literally just a few years, just a few years. And this is such a testament to, to how these people think and how they operate. They, they, there's no, there's no long-term thinking. There's no thinking about, you know, heaven, hell, judgment, any of that, not at all. All that matters is power and power right now. And I mean, you can obviously, um, given, given the listenership and given the obvious topics that we drift towards in this podcast, the same thing obviously can be said right now, Bergoglio, you know, anti-Pope Bergoglio is just obsessed with drawing power unto himself, destroying the church. He's 80 years old and he's only going to live a few more years. And then he's going to go to his particular judgment. He has absolutely no concern about that. What, what these people are concerned about is power, drawing power unto themselves right now. They will do anything. They will destroy anyone. They will even destroy macro paradigms. So LBJ is completely content to destroy the black American family culture. Uh, Bergoglio is completely and totally content, not just content. He is actively desirous of destroying the the church militant he can't completely he can he can bring it down to almost almost nothing but there will always be a church militant and it'll always be visible um, many people will be confused about about what it is and will misidentify it but it will always it will always be visible and it will always be here but Bergoglio can be can do so much already has done so much damage that they don't care about death, judgment, heaven, hell, because they don't believe in any of those things. You have to understand all they care about is power, 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 now, now, now. And so you look, you look at this culture, you look at these people and how it's it, the word that I used uh, in the blog post that I made is that it's autogenocidal. The black race in the post-Christian West, of which, of course, the largest population is certainly in the United States, the black population in the post-Christian West cannot expect to survive. It cannot expect to survive unless and until the rap hip-hop culture is exterminated because it is intrinsically autogenocidal. More children are a, more black children are aborted than are born. Um, and to me, this is a really good litmus test to use with trad Catholics. Um, there's the Jews, but then there's also the blacks. Okay. If you are, if you're in a conversation with a trad Catholic and you're hearing some things that, that make you uncomfortable and think that there's some, that there's some racism going on here, here's a way, here's a litmus test that you can use to test it. Say something like this, you know, the problem with America today is that there aren't nearly enough blacks. There, there's not nearly enough blacks. The United States would be so much better off if there was no abortion, if all of these black children hadn't been aborted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, for all intents and purposes, half of one, one out of every two black children that is conceived in the United States is aborted. Black women frequently use abortion as their primary means of contraception. Now think about that. Think about what it would mean 
if none of that had happened, if Roe versus Wade had never had never happened, if abortion had never been legalized, we're now how many years into this? I mean, and black generations tend to be shorter than white generations, meaning they tend to have children start having children younger. So now we're what into like the third or even fourth generation of this dynamic. Um, I think I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast. I uh, I, I was just tootling around on the Internet and was looking at the obituaries at the of the newspaper of the town where I grew grew up. And I came across an obituary of a name that I recognized and I clicked on it. And reading this obituary, it was a mother of a girl that I had been in school with, that I had been in elementary and junior high school with. The mother died. And, you know, they have the the next of kin listed in the obituary. And I'm reading this obituary. And I figured out that the girl that I was in junior high and high school with had a had grandchildren, the eldest of which was five years old. So a girl who is exactly my age has a five-year-old grandchild. So, I mean, that would imply that we're now into the one, two, three, this is, yeah, this this is the fourth generation in which um, the Roe versus Wade and the, the human sacrifice of infant children has been in play in this culture. You, if you want to test somebody out, if you, especially a trad Catholic, say something like that. The problem with the United States is that there's not nearly enough black people and see what the reaction is. And it will it will tell you it will tell you a lot. It's it, it's a really good way to go to see, because clearly if 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 the United States had not done Roe versus Wade and had not legalized the cult of child sacrifice, think of the blessings that it would have showered down upon us. Think of all of the economic strength that you would have. You could you could have all these all of these people and people would be at work. There would be an industry, manufacturing, so on and so forth. Instead solid of families. Solid families. Um, instead of this this welfare state and this house of cards service economy that's just one ginormous debt debt ball, you know, we we would continue the, in so much as a Freemasonic Republic can be blessed by God, it, at least it wouldn't be like this as it is now. Okay, um, I can't so, let pass the, the mention of Roe v. Wade and black Americans without pointing out that the biggest uh, beneficiary of Roe v. Wade is Planned Parenthood, which was founded by Margaret Sanger, who was a just died in the wool racist. In fact, her ideas for eugenics were directly pilfered in, in, by, by this guy we'd like to call Hitler. Yeah. And uh, well, I mean, that's his name. And he 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 got his eugenics ideas from Margaret Sanger. Now, from he didn't Margaret he didn't Sanger, apply him against, yeah. he didn't apply him against black people because there weren't a whole lot of those in, in Germany. He applied them against Jews. But the same idea, <laughs> Margaret Sanger's idea was to eradicate the black race. And her and, and she was her very legacy, open about it. Yeah. And her legacy is continued on in Planned Parenthood. There are some uh, activist groups who who uh, will, will call Planned Parenthood offices and say they are white racist, white, white national supremacists, whatever the, whatever the thing is, and they specifically want to donate for black abortions because they want to wipe out the black race. And Planned Parenthood is more than happy to take their donations. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, say, okay, yeah, we can we can go ahead and earmark that. You bet. I mean, and I think by, at this point, I think every most of the audience of this podcast is aware of, of Margaret Sanger and, and what exactly she was and what Planned Parenthood is. And I, I would also guess that most of the people here fully understand 
that um, when you see, for example, the undercover uh, undercover videos done of Planned Parenthood, where they're interviewing the the upper executives and the upper management, um, that that these people <laughs> to say to say that they that they have any um, any sense of charity towards black people as their fellow human beings, I think that would I think that would just be a, a ridiculous stretch. Um, I think that these people probably hold American blacks in far, far more contempt than than the average person on the on the alt right, you know. Um, and so, uh, you, but you look at this, and it, it just goes back to the culture and what this conversation that we have to have. And something's going to have to be done about this. At this point, is it too late? Is it going to require supernatural intervention? Is this now purely under under the category header of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary? Can can we do anything about this without supernatural intervention? Um, I don't I don't know at this point, but I think that we need to be open about saying. What is the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary and what are some characteristics of that Um, and discuss openly what this means? Um, One of the pious traditions of the church is that after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, there will there will not be any sodomites on this planet. There's a pious tradition that when our Lord was born, um, that all sodomites were were killed by God by God, and that there, at the moment that he was born, there were no sodomites on the planet, and there is a, there is a follow-up uh, pious tradition that the same thing will happen when the Immaculate Heart triumphs. And if you think about it, it stands to reason, because sex perverts are diabolical narcissists, it stands to reason that if the Immaculate Heart is triumphed, and the world is, is renewed, uh, that how, how can you have diabolical narcissists running around just completely infecting your society and also say in the same breath that the Immaculate Heart has triumphed. So that's one thing. There's not going to be any more of this sex pervert crap. That is going to be eliminated. Um, There's not going to be any more rap hip hop culture, period. That is a satanic, satanic evil culture that has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. All it does is turn people most particularly and especially black people, but then it, it infects all other cultures. You see, you see white people trying to act like that. You see Asians trying to act like that. You certainly see it in in the Latino and in the kind of mixing up with the drug the drug cartel thing in Mexico and Central America. It, it, it's infecting everything, but it's obviously centered and revolves around um, the black the black population. The rap hip hop culture has to be exterminated. There's no way that you can argue that you're going to have a world that is renewed and the Immaculate Heart is triumphed. And then you turn on the radio and there's that filthy, disgusting, pornographic shit coming out of your computer or your television or your radio or whatever it is that you open your windows in the morning and, you know, there's the sound of the church bells ringing, calling people to come to mass or to come to the office. And and by office, I mean the divine office, not the work office. I should make that clear. Bells ringing, calling people to the divine office or to the holy sacrifice of the mass. And also the storekeeper has rap hip hop music blasting out of, of his store. Th- this makes absolutely no sense. 
these two things cannot cannot coexist. There cannot be a perfect triumph of the immaculate heart and rap hip hop culture. It has to go. It has to be exterminated. Um, and the, so exter- have- the extermination of the culture, just to be clear, is the conversion of the culture. It's not. It's not the extermination in the same sense that uh, Hitler or Margaret Sanger are thinking. Of, no, it's not the extermination of human beings. That's it's exactly the opposite. It is the extermination of of the the culture, the paradigm, the music, the lifestyle, the aesthetic. Um, you know, maybe, the maybe fashion, a better term would be to say it. maybe a better term would be to, to to say the resurrection of culture because we're we're looking at a group. Um, I shouldn't say a group, but we're looking at a, a cultural subtype, which you could say is essentially in a way worshiping death. We need to wipe that aspect out and bring them back to life. We need to worship. But, but I'm not, I'm not going to whitewash it. I'm not going to whitewash it by trying to get away from the fact that something is going to have to happen such that this culture is, is made to no longer exist. And whether or not human beings do that or whether or not, you know, God almighty does that. I, I'm not I am not about backing off on on forceful rhetoric to make it completely clear. Okay, we can talk about the resurrection of culture. That that is absolutely fantastic. But but you in people's minds, that is not the same thing. So you can say, well, over here on one track, we can have the resurrection of Catholic culture while still continuing on a separate but parallel track within the same within the same culture there's this other thing over here called rap hip hop no 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 the the rap hip hop culture has to be exterminated and we can go down the list of other things other cultures other mindsets other aesthetics um that are that are going to have to be necessarily exterminated as a function of the triumph of the immaculate heart and then the the following resurrection of human culture that will come as a result of the triumph of the immaculate heart. Yes, absolutely. Um, just making the point, though, the, that, that ultimately, if you can convert a group of people, you have you, you can make the argument you've exterminated the, the culture that was there before, but you've replaced it with something a whole lot greater. And I, I don't want to give the impression that we're just going to sit back and do nothing and wait for Our Lady to solve this with the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. Yes, that will be a solution, but that's not a reason to sit back and do nothing for the time being. Well, and one of the things absolutely, absolutely on point, and one of the things that goes along with that is talking about this. Um, this business of just cowering in fear, um, especially from blacks. I mean, right now, I, I would say probably the, no, I don't know. I think maybe these these two groups are fighting for the 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 title of being the most the most militant is of course the sodomites and the blacks. You can't back down and think that we w- the solution to this is to just just stop talking about it. Just stop talking about the problem of faggot culture. Just stop talking about the problem of the blacks and just leave them alone and maybe they'll leave us alone. You know, they're not they're not. They're, they're eventually, this satanic milieu is going to so embolden them, empower them, and whip them up as basically a mercenary force that um, it's, it's just not going to be permitted uh, for anyone to not, not, just accept, not just tolerate, not just accept, but to ratify and eventually participate, though that's the four level, that's the, those are the four steps 
of how evil works with, with these paradigms. First is tolerance. Second is acceptance. Third is ratification. Uh, and by ratification, that would mean like ensconcing into law things like um, faux pseudo-sodomite marriage and things like that. The final step is, is participation. You are going to be required to hand your children over to these people. And I mean, this is obviously what's going on in the schools and so forth. But we've also seen it, for example, um, just a news story this past week that over in the UK, little girl taken away from her mother who was presumably having problems and on drugs or something. The grandparents were, I mean, grandparents were begging, begging the state in the UK Give her to us. We'll take her. She's our grandchild. Give her to us. And what did the state do? Those bastards. They took that little white Christian girl and handed her over to a family of musloids. And, you know, somebody sent me an email and said, do we even at this point need to ask the question if she was raped or sexually abused? Is there any doubt? Um, and, you know, the answer is yes, there's there is doubt, but it's extremely small. So now at this point, we're getting into these dynamics, obviously in the schools with the with the transgender crap and all that. You have to give us your children and then actively participate in this. And it's going to get to the point where if your kids aren't sex perverts, if they aren't sex perverts, you are going to be charged with first, you're going to be accused of being a bad parent. Then you're going to be charged with some sort of abuse or something like that. If you raise a boy who is attracted sexually exclusively to girls, you're going to be accused of being a bad parent and it, it will eventually, there will eventually be charges of abuse levied against you. Um, and this just keeps going and going and going. You have to participate in this. You have to ratify this. Oh, isn't this wonderful? All bow down and worship Beyonce or whatever that skank's name is. Um, th th this, these paradigms are overtly satanic. And yet we white people are just paralyzed with fear. We're not allowed to say anything. We're not allowed to say anything. And, you know, we've done it to ourselves, too. And I also blame pro professional sports tremendously for this. This business of of the white male culture in the United States just laying on the sofa with with their balls in a pickle jar on top of the television watching these borderline mentally retarded black guys run up and down a football gridiron or run up and down a basketball court or run around a baseball diamond and just worshiping these people and holding them up as heroes and he can do no wrong and blah 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 and yes I'm I'm a grown man but I'm going to I'm going to go to a store and I'm going to buy a shirt that has another man's name emblazoned across it and I'm going to wear that around. I'm going to wear that out. After paying $300 for it. After paying $300 for it so that I can wear a shirt with another man's name printed on it. Oh, wh white white culture is has enabled this and just entered into this and it's a pure function of effeminacy. White men just just pussy whipped, browbeaten, did not stand up to the, the, the feminist culture when it emerged in the 1950s and 1960s and just were completely pussy whipped and laid down to it and gave up. And now look what you have. You have 
this black culture, this completely disordered black culture in ascendancy, because isn't it interesting how all of these dynamics are tied together? Because white men kowtowed to their feminist wives and just now need a proxy, something that they can look at that it, that is at least the manifestation of some sort of masculinity, no matter how base it is, which is what basically athletics is. This is not to say that I'm against athletics at all. I love to watch a high school basketball game, uh, uh, even a good college basketball game. Sports is, is, is not an intrinsically bad thing by any means. But what it's been turned into when you have a culture that is post-Christian, um, completely effeminate male population, and now what you need to do is take these mentally retarded black guys and turn them into the universal proxy and the only acceptable way in which there can be any manifestation of masculinity in a culture, this is what you end up with. This is what you end up with. And yet what it's going to go to, what it's eventually going to go to, is not only are you, have you been paying for these people and this disordered black rip, rap hip-hop culture to ascend through the tax regime and the welfare state, but now it's going to get to the point where they're going to, in the Black Lives Matter movement and so forth, they're just going to start raping your raping your wives and raping your daughters. And you're so pussy with it, you're just going to sit there and watch. Well, there's nothing we can do. We have to wait for someone. No, no one's coming. No, one, no one's coming. And that's true in the U.S. No one's coming to save you. It's true in the church. I mean, this is an ongoing problem with people who are sitting around waiting and just swearing up and down that just any day now, this, this, this tremendous group of, of incredible, orthodox, pious, um, virile bishops and cardinals is going to rise up and come save all of us. Nobody is coming to save us. No, no man is coming to save us. The, this is why we keep talking about the triumph of the Immaculate Heart and supernatural intervention. No one's coming. There's no one there. There's no one who has, who has the, the, the fire in the gut, not even close. Not, in the sec not on the secular side, not on, not on the church side. I mean, on the secular side, look, look at what happened. I mean, you've got Donald Trump who ascends and, and manifests, certainly manifests masculinity. Now, you know my position on, on all this. It's all kayfabe. It's all, it's all a damn farce. And he has some pretty significant uh, problems with narcissism, hence his, his living on social media, so on and so forth. Um, large degree of uh, ineffective, ineffective policy and so forth. All of the people who have base who were basically on board with the so-called "Make America Great Again" platform are now purged from from the Trump White House. They're all gone. It's you know, <laughs> I received a meme a few weeks ago, and I and I laughed out loud. And it was. Um, Zuckerberg Kushner 2020 because anything less would be anti-Semitic and I just uh, I, I laughed very very hard um, it's basically Ivanka and Jared Kushner operationally running the White House um, everybody who who was anywhere close to being on any sort of a platform that anyone on the right would want anything to do with is gone 
And and what is he doing? Apparently, he's upstairs watching, obsessing over what Mika Brzezinski says about him and going on Twitter all day long. I mean, this is this is just abject insanity. Um, And that's what you get. But why did he ascend? Why did this happen? It happened because he manifested no matter how imperfectly he manifested masculinity and virility and people were just so shocked to see that that they were they were willing to take all of the evidence everything about Trump's past his political his political connections and so forth up to that point and just say you know what i don't care that guy is standing up and saying things like a man that that is the best chance that we have right now and yes, thanks be to God, Hillary Clinton will never be president of the former United States of America. Thanks be to God. But, but we're again waiting for someone to come to come and save the day, man. It's it's just it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in Washington, and it's not going to happen uh, in Rome. And apparently, it's not going to happen in Houston anytime soon either. So, yeah, we all we can do is pray and. Um, I, I uh, also the other thing I want want to mention is be very careful about who you give money to in these things. I mean, every time there's a natural disaster, every time somebody sets up some huge thing, maybe they'll even do a celebrity telethon or something like that, you know. And then you get the reportage eighteen months, two years, three years later that you know this and such raised a billion dollars and it ended up paying out in actual charity to human beings. $850,000. And that's, that's not much of an exaggeration. Um, these things are largely frauds. And, um, again, they're just, they're, they're money-making rackets for a lot of these people. So if I were you and you wanted to give some money down into Houston, um, I think I'd probably give it to, um, the FSSP parish down there and, and let the good fathers down there, um, distributed as they as they see fit, and also certainly to the the SSPX chapel as well, and let them distribute to their parishioners, and they will they will be able to discern much much better than any of us can um, what to do, who needs it, where it can go, and that good people will be getting it, and that you won't be just subsidizing the lifestyles of a bunch of damn looters, guys who are walking around with nine millimeters looting a few days before are now getting the benefit of, of your charity to some, to some organization that was set up. I mean, you can be assured that if, if you at least give it to one of the trad parishes, that, that good people who genuinely need it are going to get actual commodities that, that serve a purpose. Yeah. That reminds me of the uh, 2010 Haiti earthquake. I think the, uh, yes. the, the big relief effort that, or the, the big fundraising effort for helping Haiti it was well over a billion dollars was raised. It went to the Gl- the Clinton Global Initiative, and I think they paid out maybe $20 million in actual aid yep. to the Haitians. And even then, the, the groups to which it was paid had ties to the to the Clintons anyway. So it- <laughs> and, and the other thing about Haiti um, and ties to the payouts from the, Gl- the Clinton Gl- Global Initiative is there was a tremendous amount of child sex trafficking that happened as a direct result of all of that. Um, yeah, Haiti, that what, what a... What a just a crime against humanity. That in and of itself, you could try the Clintons um, as a capital crime against humanity just for what they did in Haiti, just for that. The, the point being, don't don't be texting your money or making donations to just any group that says they're going to help out in Houston. Do a little bit of research. Um, send, send water and blankets if necessary, but don't be just be sending cash to any organization who asks no. for it. 
No, absolutely not. Be very careful about that. And the final point that I had about Houston is, you know, you look at things like this, and I've talked about these dynamics before. For example, when there's a catastrophic earthquake somewhere, or when like there's a flood here, or something happens. The thing that, that continues to strike me over and over and over again is that, you know, we read in history, the history of the church, the history of the last 2000 years, particularly in, in old Christian Europe, and um, also, you know, in the Old Testament, and just, just throughout history, even in terms of pagan cultures, when there would be some sort of a massive disaster like this, one of the things that would almost always happen is that there would be some sort of spark or movement amongst the people of a need to repent, of a need to turn back to God, um, of a need to, you know, get their lives in order. Let, let's, let's use this chastisement because everything is in the divine providence. Let's use this chastisement as, as an impetus to get us to, to improve ourselves, reform our lives if they need to be seriously reformed, um, so on and so forth. And what just keeps striking me is that these things happen. And you can ask yourself, I wonder if there's one person right now in Houston who has said to themselves, um, I am going to stop contracepting. I, I am going to stop committing this sin of contraception. Or I am going to stop fornicating. I'm going to stop having sex outside of marriage. Or I'm going to stop engaging in, in homosexual sexual activity. I wonder if there's one. I wonder if there's one person in Houston right now today who has been moved in any way to turn back to God, to repent, to, do, to, to just do anything, to make a commitment to be, to be a better Christian, a better person, or, or to turn to God for the first time and become a Christian. It's, it's possible that the answer to that is no, because these things just keep happening and there's no, there's no change. There's, there's, no, there's no sense at all that the chastisements that, that are part of the divine providence are having any salutary effect whatsoever on these populations. And I think that's a, that's a pretty sobering thought because then you, you start thinking, well, what would it take? Especially well, looking at the symbology of what's happening. I mean, this is unprecedented flooding. Um, I haven't seen yeah. anybody talk about it being biblical type flooding, but okay, let's look at biblical flooding for a minute. Uh, this is obviously calling in, in, in uh, making a, a memory call back to uh, Noah. Why was the world flooded? Because of manifest sin. And if we look, look at uh, our, our Lady's apparitions at Akita and the message from there, she directly referenced the flood of Noah that in, in um, punishment for the sins of the world, there's going to be a new deluge, but of fire, not water. Hey, Houston, and everybody watching Houston, look what's happening there and think about the spiritual message here. This might be a, a hint. It's like, hey, it's water today. It's going to be fire tomorrow. Get your mm -hmm. act in order. That's right. And th there we might be now reported for hate speech for this podcast now, because how dare you? How dare you imply that anybody anywhere is in need of punishment, is in need of chastisement? How dare you imply that this that bad things that happened that anyone could have possibly possibly brought them upon themselves in any way you're not christian you're a hater um well uh, have have uh, you read the bible <laughs> uh, have you have you read it <laughs> uh, um and sadly i think 
most of them haven't. And the ones that have don't believe any of it. They believe that they're that they're fairy tales in the same way that we would we would uh, think that the story of what Jack and the Beanstalk is is some sort of a is a morality tale against greed or something like that. I think that's exactly the same way that most people um, not and not just the Bible, but now it's getting to the point. And this is a, this is very interesting and it ties into what's going on with the social justice warriors and tearing down statues and basically trying to erase history. They're trying to completely erase from the entire culture any knowledge, understanding, or even belief in the events of history. So even the, the events of recent history, they're trying to purge so that, you know, nobody is able to look at anything that has happened before and make any sort of logical connection, learn anything from it, um, nothing. And that I think that's one of the reasons why Satan acting through this Freemasonic Soros New World Order sodomite black rap hip hop culture of death uh paradigm that is that is ascendant now is one of the things that he's trying to do is completely kill all memory and you could certainly put underneath that the subcategory of tradition as well well and if you have no idea of your history you're going to end up repeating the mistakes that have already been made and you won't have the benefit of learning what those um erroneous conditions were so that you could avoid it in the future. And I, I do want to say one thing about, about prophecies and um, uh, pro- prophecies of chastisement. They, they are always conditional. It's always mm-hmm. if men do not repent of their sins. And men, it's, it's human beings. Uh, if, if they do not repent of their sins and turn back to God, then there will be this chastisement. And in, in terms of, I mean, I, I think you're a little more aggressive, Ann, in saying, hey, bring it on. We, we need to have the things cleaned out. I'm I'm a little more leery personally. I'm not asking for divine justice. I'm asking for mercy, and and I want people converted. Uh, that's 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 the kind of eradication of social ills that I would like to see. You know, moral ills. If you convert everyone to Christ to authentic worship, you have eradicated the problem. And ultimately, this is out of out of deep love for the eternal salvation of everybody. We don't want the hip hop culture burning in hell for all eternity. We want them to convert. No. We want them to be in no. heaven and enjoy the, the the beatific vision with us. I mean, I, exactly I say that not, point. I'm not making presumption of where I'm going to be eternally. I certainly hope and pray and am doing penance to be able to be among the elect. But the, the idea here is we're not saying, ah, forget it. You're, 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 uh, um, we're not gonna take the Lutheran idea of, of you're, you're a uh, reprobate and there's nothing to be done for you. Just bring on the chastisement right. and let you, let you fry. No, that is, that is not authentic Christianity to, to, to look at people that way. And, and certainly, um, I don't subscribe to that idea either. What, what a moving thing it would be to see black people, for example, going on the internet, making little videos and saying, hello, my name is Sheila Washington, and I completely, totally renounce rap music. I completely and totally renounce this culture of, of fornication um, and so on and so forth. I mean, it, it would be... I talked a couple podcasts ago about there was a clip of a um, a, a, Mus- a Muslim couple from I think Saudi Arabia or something like that, and they formally apostatized from Islam. Made a video reading a statement of that they were apostatizing. They completely and totally rejected it which and posted puts a it death on Twitter. On their head, by the which way. Put, puts a death penalty on their heads. But that's exactly the same thing that the that black people need to do is they need to formally apostatize 
from this, uh, maybe you could call it a pseudo-religion or a subset of Satanism or something like that. It's certainly a religion of death. What a moving thing it would be to see them formally apostatize from the black hip-hop culture of death and make public statements to it and say, "I'm, I'm not participating in this anymore. I denounce it with every fiber of my being. And I'm, I'm no longer going to consume or live by this creed. And it is a creed. It's a creed of fornication. It's a creed of um, laziness. It's a creed of It's a creed of do what thou wilt. Do what thou wilt. Yes, exactly. And just unspeakable materialism. Just unspeakable materialism. And it is and, not a stretch at all to say that this is a satanic idea. And and in, in, in referencing do what thou wilt, that is a perversion of something St. Augustine said, love God and then do what thou wilt. Because if you love God, then what you will is to do God's will. And to further mm-hmm. paraphrase St. Augustine, you know, you either choose the city of God or the city of man. And, and the city of man was not constructed by God. That was constructed by Satan. So if you are not living in a manner that is, you know, consistent with the city of God, you're in, in the rap culture would certainly be in this, then you mm-hmm. are following in it, it, either directly or indirectly to, to a greater or lesser degree. Uh, you're following a satanic path. So that is not hyperbole or exaggeration whatsoever. Not at all. And you know, I, I think a good image for people and we'll kind of wrap up on this is um, Whitney Houston, you know, Whitney Houston lived a life of just debauchery drug use. It's now been revealed that she was, she was a lesbian sodomite her entire adult life. So she's a sex pervert. She's using hard drugs. And sure enough, this all caught up with her. And apparently from all of the years of cocaine usage, um, apparently cocaine just does unspeakable damage to cardiac tissue. And so it's not uncommon for people who have used cocaine heavily throughout their, you know, teens, twenties, thirties, for, you know, they're in their mid forties and their heart just literally explodes in their chest one day. They just have a massive heart attack and die. And she was in the bathtub and she had a massive heart attack and she died. And she's not even 50 years old, I don't think. But there's this mindset in the black, it, it seems to me, even in the black Christian, obviously Protestant community, that um, if you just go to quote unquote church with a small C and you put on enough of a spectacle and enough of a show um, and you get up and, you know, you sing like Aretha Franklin and you, it's Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus this, Jesus that. And it, 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 it's even better if you have a really good voice like, like, like Whitney Houston did. Um, and all these people show up and Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus this. Um, Whitney Houston died in in unconfessed mortal sin outside of the church. Is it possible that she made some sort of an act of, of contrition as she was, as she was dying of a heart attack and drowning in a bathtub? Of course it's possible. It's highly, highly, highly unlikely. It's about as likely as uh, being in the twin tower buildings on nine 11 and not getting out of the building and still surviving. I think two people did that just because it's technically possible. Does that mean you advise people to not leave the building? Because that's the equivalent of of telling people, hey, it's possible you can still be saved without formally entering the Catholic Church. Yes, it's technically possible, but it's far more likely you will not be saved. Oh, that's a really good analogy of of not getting out of the buildings, but still surviving. And there were two people that did. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good, I'm going to have to use that. It's a really good analogy. And so I think in terms of, 
one of the things that needs to be done that should be done in turn, we need to evangelize the black community. Obviously the seeds are there. Most of them are baptized. Um, and most of them have, you know, they have a general idea of who Christ is, um, his, his life, death, resurrection, so on and so forth. So there's, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a baseline there you can work with. I think one of the important things to break them of, obviously just Protestantism in general, is is this notion of this narcissistic exuber, uh, not exuberance, that's not the right word, this showmanship, going to church and it's just a damn show. I think what we need to evangelize them and they need to be evangelized, and this is gonna, this is gonna sound harsh, but it's true. They need to be evangelized into silence. They need to learn that, you know, going to church isn't isn't a show that you put on. It isn't who who can sing and who can who can say amen and wave their hands and do this, that and the other, the loudest. Um, I mean, think about how different the culture between your average Pentecostal or AME or Assemblies of God or or Baptist black churches and what's going on in there. And then look at the low mass, you know, and I'm talking, you know, the Venerable Gregorian Rite, obviously, and look at the low mass and the silence, the the true active participation that goes on at the low mass. And look at how completely disparate these cultures are. And I think one of the first things that would need to be done in terms of evangelization is, is, is to explain to people that this business of this narcissistic showmanship that you have turned uh, Sunday and Wednesday services into this. This is highly disordered, and this has to stop. Here, let me show you what it looks like when you're actually at the foot of Calvary. No joke. Um, I and I, I, I think a lot of them certainly have a love of Jesus, and there's something there to work with. But you can't just say, shrug your shoulders and say, "Oh well, we can't say anything against black culture." We certainly can't say anything against black church. Um, yeah, we can. Black black church is a narcissistic paradigm, and it sure as hell didn't do Whitney Houston any good, and it sure as hell didn't do any of these other people any good. And it tends to be, I mean, <laughs> yeah, talk about the pot calling the kettle black, talking about corruption and so forth, but these black church paradigms just tend to be populated with these you know, ministers, bishops, basically owners of the racket, who are who are just in it clearly for the money and the the material the material largesse there's a problem with homosexuality and sexual predation amongst these black tv bishops and so forth it, it's you know the analogies are there uh, but nobody's doing this because we've all been taught that you may not you may not critique in any way black culture or the black church and i think that's something that we all need to start working on and talking about they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to—we owe them uh, at least our prayers and to tell them the truth when, when the opportunity arises. That's right. I think that's pretty much a wrap for this week. Um, I think so, too. Just general reminders, uh, Masses for Anne's benefactors are set on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Or is it Thursdays now as well? Or is that still up in the air? Um, still, still organizing. Still organizing. I like I said last week. I want to try to get it so that there's one requiem said per week. So still organizing. Okay, and you can email your suggestions, questions, feedback, comments, um, ideas for offshore web hosting. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. 
This podcast is produced by me, Super Nerd, uh, part of Super Nerd Media. If you found value in this episode and would like to return some value, you can donate at my website, supernerdmedia.com. I'd like to thank Blaine, Eric, John, Gene, and N uh, for donations uh, since the last time I acknowledged donors. Among other things, the donations are being put to use for buying web hosting. (laughs) And ideally from uh, people who aren't idiots who uh, actually follow their own terms of service. Uh, So thank you very much for your generosity. Uh, Well, and um, I anticipate that the whole web hosting thing is going to quickly devolve into, I think it was you, Super Nerd, who called it um, whack-a-mole. I think it's going to turn into kind of a -a whack-a-mole type of a situation. And I hope that we can find something offshore pretty quick. Well, and I, 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 what, I, what I've been told is that's all more expensive as, as if you go offshore and you want that that extra layer of security that you have to pay for it. So, ugh. yeah. And in, in, in my research so far, and this is why I'm, I'm asking for assistance, too. I've only looked at U.S. companies usually at this part of my career. And the, the places I'm finding are Malaysia, which is you're going to run into Islamic uh, sensitivities yep. at that point. Uh, you're yep. looking at Russia, which may just on the principle of it being Russia get blocked by U.S. Uh, firewall uh, configurers, people who who set up the, the U.S. firewalls um, or other sketchy situations like uh, offshore Bahamas where you're sharing servers with illegal gambling uh, websites yeah. and things like that. Um, it, it It's not going to be easy to find a high quality, reliable offshore um host for this. Now I, I did proactively reach out to the, the company where, where the website's being hosted right now and say, Hey, look, we, we had some idiots uh, making baseless complaints. What is your procedure for any complaints you get? And, and, and they, I, I think they were amused <laughs> and, and they said, no, here's, here's the process. Here's what we go through. And I don't think you're gonna have any problems. So, uh, Hey, all you social justice warriors who think you can just make complaints. Um, you're not going to, um, and, and even if you do, um, I already had a, <laughs> I didn't expect to have to put it into practice, uh, but I, I had a very aggressive uh, backup and disaster recovery plan just in case something like this had happened. So if if we have to act on that again, it's not like the website will be lost. Uh, there are definite definitely backups that are made frequently. So I hope to not oh, have yeah. to it's do just, this. It's, it, it's just a question of how long we're down. And I think, Super Nerd, you were just borderline heroic when this all happened because I think we were only down for, what, five or six hours? It wasn't it wasn't very long at all. It, it it was it was something where I updated the name service providers immediately um, mm-hmm. because like like I said we, I was eighty percent of the way to moving your your website anyway so the yeah. the new account was already provisioned um, it was it was halfway configured the way it was it was just a matter of okay all other side projects stop now and get this moved mm-hmm. and it, it it was pretty quick but it's it's still even even though it, it's possible to do and. I'd prefer not to play whack a mole it, it's not something that that I'd like to do every single week or every exactly. single podcast it's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's a complete waste of time, but that's what they're going for. That's what they're, they're just trying to, it's a, it's a harassment. It's a form of harassment. Yep. But anyway, thank you very much to the donors who uh, make it a lot easier to uh, provision new hosting somewhere else. Um, it'd be a little more difficult if, if I was having to pay for all of this uh, just, just uh, out of my pocket or, or out of, out of Ann's donations. Um, so it definitely, the donations certainly make it a lot easier to keep this project going. Indeed. Um, and on that point, I am super nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks a lot, guys. God bless.